This episode contains strong language. Привіт, привіт, my dear students. My name is Ina, and welcome to my YouTube channel, Speak Ukrainian. In today's video, I found this YouTube channel last week. It's run by a Ukrainian woman who uploads video language lessons. My YouTube channel, like this video, and leave your comments about it. So, guys, her name is Ina, and she's from the city Kherson. You may have heard about it because the city has been occupied by the Russian army for more than a month. All of the major news networks from CNN to BBC have talked about Kherson. But so Ina lived there before the invasion and she ran her YouTube channel, produced videos for it, made lessons like this one where she's teaching students how to ask what time is it in Ukrainian and how to answer if someone asks them. How to ask, what time is it now? What time is it now means kotra zaraz hodina. Kotra zaraz hodina. Okay, so how to answer it? In most countries, being a language teacher is an innocent profession. But remember that this war, this invasion, it has to do with language, with words. Putin has said that he wants to liberate the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine. He says that those people are being persecuted. And so anyone like Ina, who promotes the Ukrainian language by teaching it, Putin sees her and people like her as a threat. And so that's why she decided to leave her hometown and go somewhere safer. And today, her YouTube videos sound very different. Привіт, привіт. My name is Ina, and welcome to my YouTube channel, Speak Ukrainian. In this video, I would like to share with you the recent updates from Ukraine. This is a video from March 31st, where Ina talks about becoming a refugee and how scary it was leaving the Russian-occupied zone. So, um, last weekend, I finally fled from the occupied Kherson. It was very uh, scary and difficult, but I couldn't stay there any longer. Ina's husband also thought that she couldn't stay there any longer. He is fighting in the Ukrainian army, and she talks about how he called her and told her she needed to get out of the Russian zone as soon as possible. My husband uh, called me last Friday and said, Ina, you have to leave. I'm uh, too worried about you. I can't um, do my service well. And please, um, you need to flee. And tomorrow in the morning, uh, please do it with uh, your friends. On Saturday in the morning, we woke up at 6 a.m. and we started uh, to flee from the city. Uh, we were so scared and we just prayed. We prayed uh, the Lord's prayer, Ochenash, and uh, we asked the God, please make this way safe. Please let us, let us be uh, healthy, uh, safe. Uh, please help us. Ina even did a lesson for her students, teaching them the Lord's Prayer in Ukrainian a few weeks before she fled from her hometown. I wanted to offer you to pray together with me and um, let's 
pray Lord's Prayer in Ukrainian language, and its name is Otshenash. So please close your eyes and let's uh, pray together. Отчинаш, що єси на небесах, да святиться ім'я Твоє, да прийде царство Твоє. These words have been prayed by countless Ukrainians who are surviving as best they can in a war-torn country. They were also prayed by countless other people in other wars. Even in World War II, soldiers carried the Lord's Prayer around their necks, printed on their dog tags. Ina made it out of the Russian-occupied zone to a safer part of Ukraine. I spoke to her on the phone, and she told me that she's still making videos and still teaching students online. A lot of them are volunteers from other countries who want to learn to speak Ukrainian so they can communicate with the locals they are working with and trying to help. She even has a few American students who are fighting as soldiers in Ukraine. I feel so happy that I can help them to learn Ukrainian language. I'm very happy that I have a lot of work right now because I can be distracted from the uh, whole situation. I asked Ina if she could also teach me a few words. I thought what we could do is, if, if you don't mind me asking for free lessons, <laughs> but maybe we could start with, I'm James Reed. You can say, Privet. Privet. Uh, manes vate. Manes vate. Super. You have a very good accent, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. I think you're just a good teacher. Okay, let's say again. Manes Vati, it means my name is James Reed. Manes Vati, James Reed. And this is Don't Show My Face. I wanted to do an episode this week about words, because words have played such a key role in the war in Ukraine. Putin has said that he invaded Ukraine to liberate the Russian-speaking citizens. Putin believes that they want to be a part of his country, a theory that so far has proven to be entirely false. Only 30% of Ukrainians speak Russian as their primary language, and most of them live in eastern and southern Ukraine. But many of them, since Putin invaded, instead of welcoming the Russian army— They've started, for the first time in their lives, to speak Ukrainian as a protest. And there are other ways that words have played a significant role in the war. Zelensky said the famous words, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition, when the U.S. offered to help him escape Kiev. Perhaps even more famous are the words said by a Ukrainian soldier to a Russian warship in case you missed it, he told the warship over his radio to go fuck itself when the warship demanded he and his group of soldiers surrender. That slogan, Russian warship, go fuck yourself, has been printed on t-shirts and the government of Ukraine has even printed a stamp, an official government stamp, 
that shows an illustration of the soldier flipping the Russian warship, the bird. I wanted to find out more about words and their role in the war. So I spoke to a Ukrainian philologist, an expert on language, a woman who lives in Odessa. Her name is Anna, and she also teaches English to students online. You know, so these days, the lessons of English are basically the only opportunity for people to switch off from the reality. So they are glad to talk about something different, um, not the war, mm-hmm. actually. I'm working for a big company. It's like Ukrainian and not only Ukrainian, we also work in uh, Poland. So we make free speaking clubs for everybody. It's free, everybody can join. And you can talk about wars and everybody can share their stories. But some people really need to talk about it. They need to tell the world Mm. their stories. And they have this chance at these kind of lessons at the speaking clubs. And when I listen to them, I uh, literally get new gray hair on my head because it's it's impossible what you hear there. Some people from Mariupol, people from Bucha, so terrible things you can hear mm. at this kind of classes. In the speaking clubs online, where students can practice English with each other, no matter what topic the teacher chooses for the group, the conversation usually always drifts back to the war. You start talking about food and you finish talking about war because people have lack of food. You start talking about love and you finish talking about the love people who are split up today because of this war. She's in Poland, she's fighting. So any topic basically comes down to that, to, to war. The company Anna works for is called Green Forest English. And on their Instagram page, you can see how lately they've been teaching words and phrases to their students that might be useful at the moment. So, for example, there's one post that's labeled Everyday English. And then there's a little side title that has been tacked on so that it reads Everyday English at War. And below, they show the English translations of words and phrases like Welcome to Hell, Target, Molotov Cocktail, Sanctions Against Russia, Shelling, Bomb Shelter. Anna said that these lessons are entirely new to the school. We have never needed, actually, these terminology. She said that before the war, they were teaching a very different kind of everyday English. We're talking about food and airports and shops, you know, and now we need to study all these words also with them. I asked Anna where her affinity for language started. When I was born, it was still the USSR, so we still had this iron curtain. It was like a miracle when you saw a foreign-speaking person. And my godmother, she got married with a Dutch person. And every Christmas, like a fairy godmother, she came to Ukraine with a bunch of presents, licorice candies. And I was listening to my dad talking in English to those Dutch friends. And they were also beautiful, huge men with blonde hair, giving us candies, smiling, smelling nice. 
And then when I was studying at school, I decided that just I like I like languages, and I saw that I want to continue with that. You could call me a language geek. I wanted to know where the word comes from. Where are the roots of every word? Words are connected to the history of the planet. Anna told me one example about how words themselves can teach us about history. So she told me about how English words, a lot of them have their roots in the Norwegian language. A lot of English words come from Norwegian. And when you're a philologist, you notice these similarities and you start tracing words back to the time they first came into use. And then you start to ask the questions and you start to learn that there were Vikings trying to conquer London. That's right. Viking warriors traveled from Norway to London over a thousand years ago in the ninth century. And they fought bloody wars there for decades. Those Viking fighters stayed and lived in England, so many of them that they changed the language itself by introducing words that today we use all the time. Words like egg, steak, sister, bug, wing, skill, law, gun, slaughter. All these words have their origins in the language of the Vikings, and they became a part of the English language because of those wars in England in the ninth century. And this whole story I learned just from the language when I asked myself why there are so many Norwegian words in English. Words show that Wars don't only leave landmines behind. They also leave behind language. Words are evidence, evidence of war, of invasion, death and destruction. Words are the traces of war. And today, in the war in Ukraine, words are being used to catch Russians. Russians who are pretending to be Ukrainian, who have run away from their battalions or stolen Ukrainian soldiers' uniforms and walk around pretending to be Ukrainian soldiers and escape either being killed or having to fight for Putin. The way you can catch one of these Russians, Anna says, is with a word. It was even a joke that you could use this word to check if the person is Russian or Ukrainian. So this is the word. I want you to repeat it. (laughs) So I want to hear how you say it. It's called palanitsia. Palanitsia. Oh, you see? (laughs) No. (laughs) You sound definitely very German. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, I'm American, not German. But as Anna pointed out, I am horrible at pronouncing this word. And I'm not the only one. Apparently, it's also a very difficult word for Russians to pronounce. So at the start of the war, these videos started surfacing online of supposedly Ukrainian soldiers asking captured Russian soldiers to pronounce the word Palanitsia. So the Ukrainians couldn't keep this one-word test a secret, especially when the videos started going online. 
And back in Russia, on state TV, they tried to prepare Russian soldiers for this one-word test. That's Olga Skabayeva. She's a Russian news presenter, and she's telling Russian soldiers about the Palanitsia test. And she tells them that if they're captured, they might be asked not only to pronounce it, but to also explain what it means. And she gives them that definition. She says the word means strawberry. That if a Russian soldier in any way gets into Ukrainian uh, environment, he will be asked to say the word polanitsa, like she says. And if the person mispronounces it, or if the person doesn't know the correct meaning of this word, which she explains is strawberry, then you will be in trouble. You will be killed, or you'll get into some place you don't want to be. The only problem is that Olga Skabayeva said the wrong word on Russian television. She said polonitsia. And while that is the right word for strawberry, the word that was being used to test Russians was the word palanitsia. Palanitsia. And palanitsia is like this cheese pastry. It's not a strawberry. It's a baked good. And so that Russian TV presenter was actually setting up Russian soldiers to fail the test, something that really amused Ukrainians. Palanitsa is now not a secret anymore, but it's not the only test, of course. There are such, you know, things in Ukraine which only Ukrainians know. Yes, there are some other tests involving different words that are being used to identify Russians pretending to be Ukrainian. But instead of telling you those, we're going to move on to other ways in which words are being shared in Ukraine right now. For example, the words used in memes. Often, Ukrainian memes joke about the disinformation spread by Russia about Ukraine. And there are these key words from these memes, key words that will probably get a chuckle inside Ukraine, even if you just mention one word to another person. I went over a few of them with Anna. So the first word I'm going to ask you about is the word ducks. Ducks? Yeah, like, or geese or birds. Oh my God, it's so funny. Really, you don't know the story behind it. I want you to tell me. I know a little, but I want you to tell me. Okay, so there was... I just think that the more stupid piece of news is, the the better it is accepted in Russia. They told that we have like these biological labs, uh, American biological labs on the territory of Ukraine. So biological weapons labs, right? Like, but yeah, we produce not only biological weapon, but we also produce <laughs> like fighting birds and lizards, and then we send them to Russia so that they spread this disease around the Russian territory. So we have these military geese and uh, birds uh, flying around Russia carrying these diseases. That's insane. How can it possibly be? My gosh. You, mean, <laughs> you think it's difficult to train a goose to do something? 
<laughs> I think so. I think it's difficult to explain the goose that he needs to fly to Russia, not to Ukraine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and after that, we have started a challenge. So show your biological weapon on Instagram. So the way people did this was by posting photos of their dogs or cats or birds with a text that read something like, here is my biological weapon. Everybody has posted the funniest photos of their pets, like showing like their biological weapon. At the moment, I have only two hamsters, so I posted my two hamsters, and that's my biological weapon. <laughs> Biological weapon is funny. They'd rather believe that the birds are infected, that Russia has invaded Ukraine. (laughs) It must be frightening if you believe that and you live inside Russia. Every time you see a bird, you must... uh, Freak out. (laughs) Get nervous, start sweating. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, we don't have, of course, biological weapon, but they managed to kill themselves very, very well. You know, Chernobyl, the Chernobyl story. Yeah, sure. they came to Chernobyl. They started to dig in the Red Forest, Rudilis. That's the highly infected territory with radiation. I think half of them is already dead of the people who were digging there. Okay, let's go on to the next word. Are you ready? Okay, shoot. It's, it's two words, actually. So, washing machine. Oh, no, that's sad. It's, it's it's actually sad because Russians, they call it trophies. We call it looting. So I don't know, maybe in Russia, they have such a difficult situation that they have never seen washing machines, but they invade Ukrainian houses. They take children's toys. They take women's underwear. And the popular item is the washing machine. They tried to send them back to their homes so that their wives uh, would have some nice piece of equipment. There are tons of washing machine memes that are being shared in Ukraine right now. One of them looks like this. So there's the burning building behind, and the Ukrainian soldier is carrying the baby out of the burning building, and the Russian soldier is taking the washing machine. (laughs) So the difference between... Us and them. Yeah. I've seen one where it says how to catch a Russian soldier and there's like this very improvised sort of a trap that you would use to catch a wild animal and underneath is just a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. But it's not on the washing machine. Of course, they're looking for gold, you know. They try to uh, to tell us that we have the same religion. We're all Christians. And you know what? When our soldiers, like in, in a fight, they killed one of the Russian soldiers. They started to look for his phone in uh, or something that they could tell the relatives that he's actually dead. And when they started to look in his pockets, there were like golden crosses, the symbol of our religion. So he stole, he looted the golden crosses. So what else can you tell about the religion? Uh, and some of them even have the golden like teeth. You know, it's not popular in Europe anymore, but some Ukrainian people, when we go to dentist, like many years ago, people used to make golden teeth if they have lost one. 
Yes, I don't know why, but it was made of gold. So you could see the golden teeth in his pocket. This one, I really wonder, where did he take the tooth? Probably don't want to know the story. No, 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 me too. And I'm wondering also when we're talking about words, how old are your kids and how do you talk to them? What what words do you use with them? I have two children. So my elder son is 10 years old. I don't, I don't say the sharp words, emotional words. I just try to explain the situation that it's all politics. It's all about money. He asks a lot of questions, actually. So it's very difficult to explain, but I try to explain him, of course. But so could you give me an example? So what's a sentence that you would say to me? And then what would be the version of that sentence that you would say to your son? Oh, to to you, not here, not in the broadcast. In in real life, I would swear a lot, actually. We we all swear. We say bad words now. I let Anna know that it's okay to swear on my show. Well, how can how can you call them except motherfuckers? Well, I, I don't have another word. So people who shoot rockets at peaceful people living in their house are uh, are just bloody motherfuckers. Then she told me how she would say those same words, but translate them for her son to hear. To him, I would say that uh, these are the soldiers who got this order from their generals. And people, these generals, they are under control of Putin. So he gives uh, this kind of politics to them. The younger daughter is four years old. So the only thing she knows is that she tells me, Mom, it was a scary thunder when we heard these explosions. She She said, Mom, it was a scary thunder. So she was afraid. And what words do you use with her, with the four year old? I don't explain to her a lot. She doesn't need that yet, I think. Mm. So I just try to soothe her, to calm her down, to change uh, the topic, to show her something interesting, you know, to disturb her attention to something more colorful. Okay, so the one last thing I want to talk about is also, you know, you talked about some stronger words. And I wonder if these strong words also, for you personally, if you've noticed that they are not as strong as they used to be, that you're getting used to these very dark, yeah, very sinister words. You know what, talking about my, my children, there is one word that we call Putin here. You probably know it's an offensive word. Call him huilo. Do you know what it means? No. It's a bad word. You can tell me. So it's like a dick face, something like that. <laughs> it's something like dick face. Uh, and there was this song, <laughs> this song, but you, you, you must know it. You cannot uh, stay away from the stories. I'm going to send you the video. <laughs> So basically, they're singing the words, Putin is a dick face, over and over and over again. (laughs) 
didn't know the author of this song, but he is a national hero already, <laughs> uh, unnamed hero. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so since that day, nobody calls Putin by name. We call him Kulilo, and it's a very bad word. And this is the word that is used these days, even in the official channels of Ukrainian television. And I let my son call him also this way. He deserves it. And before you would not let him say that word? It's a it's dick face. Would you allow your child to say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. And there was one last difference between the Russian and Ukrainian language that Anna told me about. They don't have grammatical form for I will win. They have the, the word to win, but they don't have the future form for this word. And it's just because of the grammar of the language. Yes, there is no grammatical form for this word. It doesn't exist. We are fighting with a country who doesn't have the future form for the word win. Can you imagine? And is there a future form in Ukrainian? Sure. How do you say it? That means I will win. We will win. Well, I think that's a great place to stop for today. Mm -hmm. I think um, so. Thanks very much for talking to me, Anna. Thank you, too. You entertained me a little bit there with all your <laughs> geese and watching machines. It was fun. Anna is living in a country that was invaded by its neighbor now more than 50 days ago. At the start of this episode, the other language teacher, Ina, was teaching her students words in Ukrainian, words relating to the telling of time. It's impossible now to know how long Ina will have to stay separated from her husband as he fights to help Ukraine win the war. It's also impossible to know how long Anna will have to keep distracting her four-year-old daughter from the sound of thunder that comes through the window when the sun is shining and the only rain falling on the buildings in their neighborhood is a rain of Russian bullets and bombs. And it's impossible to know when, if ever, the rest of the world will decide to close the sky over Ukraine, to knowingly choose to enter World War III with Russia. It only took two days for England to decide to declare war on Germany back in 1939, after Poland was invaded. But it took the United States longer. Two years passed before they decided to enter the war. During that time, one man broadcast words, just his words, over the radio. He broadcast them to the United States, words that vividly described the miserable situation in Europe. His name was Edward R. Murrow, and his words were so powerful that many credit him as a major influence on the U.S. public opinion, public opinion that would eventually sway in 1941 toward finally joining World War II. Murrow spoke without showing his face. He was a voice across the ocean, a voice that described with beautiful empathy the men, women, and children hiding in bomb shelters in London basements and subways while their city was being reduced to rubble by bombs. I am not this generation's Edward R. Murrow, not 
by even a long shot. But what I can do is play a bit of one of his broadcasts for you. And you can imagine that instead of him standing on a London rooftop in 1939, that Murrow is standing on the rooftop of a building in Odessa today, in 2022, near where Anna's kids are sleeping. And he's sending his words out right now as a live broadcast. I'm standing on a rooftop looking out over London. At the moment, everything is quiet. For reasons of national as well as personal security, I am unable to tell you the exact location from which I'm speaking. I can look across just at a building not far away and see something that looks like a splash of white paint down the side. And I know from daylight observation that about a quarter of that building has disappeared, hit by a bomb the other night. Streets fan out in all directions from here, and down on one street I can see a single red light, and just faintly the outline of a sign standing in the middle of the street. And again, I know what that sign says, because I saw it this afternoon. It says, danger, unexploded bomb. I think probably in a minute we shall have the sound of guns in the immediate vicinity. The lights are swinging over in this general direction now. You'll hear two explosions. Just there they are. Again, moving in, still a considerable distance away. Moving still just a little closer. There you heard two. Earlier this evening, we heard a number of bombs go sliding and slithering across to fall several blocks away. Now you'll hear two bursts a little nearer in a moment. There they are. If you'd like to see some of Ina's videos and learn some Ukrainian yourself, you can go to her YouTube channel, which is just called Speak Ukrainian. We're going to post some links to that on our Instagram page, which is Don't Show My Face Podcast, all one word. And you'll also see on her YouTube page that she has started selling t-shirts, these really beautifully designed t-shirts and hoodies and other clothing items to raise money for the war effort in Ukraine. Because Odessa is still so close to the Russian-occupied zone, I'm not going to put out too much information about Anna or her last name. But again, the language school that she works for is called Green Forest English. We will also post some links to their Instagram page, including those posts that we talked about. In case you're wondering what this music is in the background, it is actually a guy named Mikhail Mitkov Baklanovsky, who posted a video of himself singing the famous song, Putin is a dickhead with his dog and two other friends. There's a guy playing the bongos with a very interesting choice of drumstick. We're going to put a video of this on our Instagram page. This week's episode was produced by me, James Reed, with help from Monica Hellstein and Julia Carbonaro. We had original music from Evan Lawrence. 
and original music from Lezik Amodada. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find our account under the name DSMF Podcast, all one word. And again, we are on Instagram at Don't Show My Face Podcast, all one word. Thanks for listening and take care. This has been a production of Invisible Pictures Germany 2022.